Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews, the podcast where we talk to our greatest filmmakers about the art and craft of making movies. My name is Tim Malloy, and I do not have a cold. This is the week uh, of the year when every podcast begins with somebody saying, I have a cold, I have a cough, bear with me. I am not sick at all, and I am grateful for it. Uh, Usually we don't appreciate not having a cold unless we've just had a cold, so I just want to be extremely gratefulish. This week, our guests are Allison Brie, co-writer and star of the new Netflix film Horse Girl, and Jeff Baina, the co-writer and director of the film. You know, sometimes you get to the end of a movie and you immediately want to call up the people who made it. That's how I felt right after Horse Girl. I think I'm not going to be alone in that, but I was lucky enough that um, their publicist said okay. And so, got to talk to them. And I'm going to make kind of a weird recommendation here, which is that if you haven't seen the movie yet, you do not listen to this yet. Uh, The movie comes out Friday, February 7th, which is when we're posting this. Uh, Just go watch it. Go watch it and then come back. Because I don't think you can spoil a movie like this, but if it were me, I would want to go in completely cold, uh, only knowing the title. All right, so if you're still here, I assume you've watched it. I assume you don't have a cold and aren't giving the rest of us your germs and that I don't have to try to attempt to summarize this movie because I don't think I could. Um, It is, as I mentioned, a recorded phone call, which isn't my favorite way to do a podcast, but maybe you've heard the episode of What the Fuck with Mark Maron where his audio goes totally bananas while he's interviewing Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio and he leaves it in and you get to hear how everybody handles a potentially awkward situation and it's funny and it's great and everybody seems more human. I was inspired by that to leave in all the annoying glitches in this talk with Allison Brie and Jeff Baina, both of whom I think think I'm an idiot, but that's okay. I really love this movie. I thought it was beautiful and was so thrilled to get to see it at Sundance and to see your Q&A afterwards. Oh, thank you so much. It's a really unusual movie and takes a huge number of risks. The first thing I wanted to ask, just to get this out of the way, how much did the success of Glow help you get this made and get Netflix to pay for it? Oh, wow. You know, I'm not sure. I mean, I I would like to think it had a little something to do with it, but I, I think it more had to do with the Duplass brothers and their fantastic relationship with Netflix. You know, we pitched this idea to a handful of producers, um, to some skepticism and and some sort of misunderstanding and things like that. And, uh, you know, for the most part, people always thought we were about to start pitching them a comedy, which was always like the first (laughs) uh, misunderstanding of the conversation. But as soon as we talked to Mark and Jay about it and sent them the outline, they were totally on board and completely supportive and they have such a great relationship. I mean, they have a deal with Netflix. So I think that having their trust uh, behind us was, was the key thing that helped get the movie made there. How much did you both want this to be open to interpretation? And how much did you want there to be a pretty clear narrative? I feel like there's a very, a very clear internal logic to the film. And I think it's very clearly about schizophrenia. But I also understand that other people might see it differently. For me, it was always really important to be clear on what we were saying, but at the same time, I wanted it to be open for interpretation because I feel like you don't want to explain things to people, but you want the motor to be constantly moving it in the direction that you're choosing. But 
you know, once it's out the gate, like you have no control over the way people interpret it. And um, we both were very clear at the end that we wanted to make sure there's enough plausible deniability and sort of different interpretations that you can sort of feel satisfied if that's how you feel it is. But we had a very, I think, pretty clear idea of like what the, what is sort of guiding the movie and its story. Yeah. Uh, Allison, do you feel <clears throat> the same? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we've certainly designed it so that uh, upon multiple viewings, uh, people might pick up a little bit more of what we feel like is the through line to the story, but we always talk about it being a bit open-ended. I, I feel excited by the idea that people would have different interpretations, especially of the film's ending. Yeah, I saw this with someone who's had a lot of experience with schizophrenia with people close to them. And one thing that we both found really moving about it is this is this is really the only movie that we've seen that very much puts you in the point of view of the person who's suffering from a mental illness and doesn't doesn't look at them the way that an outsider would look at them, but looks at it completely from the way that they seem to see the world. And I imagine that was very yeah, that was much really important to us. Yeah, I mean, from the beginning, the whole idea was to sort of explore what's happening to Sarah's character through her eyes and to legitimize her point of view, whether or not those things are objectively happening. No one has an objective point of view. Everyone has a subjective point of view. And so we want to sort of validate that experience for her with, so that we're treating her um, story with compassion as opposed to judgment. And I think that's, you know, the, the, that was sort of our, our main sort of objective when we set out to make this movie is to, to sort of sympathize with what Sarah's going through and also understand how confusing it is if things that appear to be unreal or to be supernatural or to be sort of um, impossible are actually happening and how that sort of jives with her reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, a major crux of the film is, is how terrifying it can be to not be able to trust your own mind. And we wanted to put the audience in that same seat with Sarah going for this ride, not knowing you know, what they could trust either. Yeah, and she's smart, and her explanations for things do make sense, and you do see how she arrives at this, you know, kind of conspiracy theory. Yeah, there are some red herrings in this story, of course. Uh, Sarah is, like, uh, doing a ton of her own amateur detective work throughout the film. She's trying to piece things together while not having a full grip on uh, reality versus dreams. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, there's a bit, there's a bit, you know, she is very smart, but she's also just like having an influx of so much information that she doesn't know how to process. And she's in a position of doing it all by herself because she's such an isolated person and that becomes very mean for her. Can you say that last part again? And also the the history of trauma. Sorry. Can you repeat that? That becomes very what for her? Oh, dangerous for her. <laughs> sorry, I had a little bit of a tech issue there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, oh, oh do you want me to say that? I was just saying that her isolation becomes dangerous yes. for her. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Sorry. Her isolation becomes dangerous for her. Yes. For her. <laughs> her, isol- her isolation right, right. becomes dangerous for, yeah. Okay. Sorry. For her. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. 
you know, this movie starts off like it's going to be kind of a very <clears throat> Sundancey movie about just an isolated, lonely person, um, and then it turns into something else. Did you deliberately kind of do a rope dope at the beginning? Like, let's sort of lure them into what seems like a, a movie we've a good movie, but a movie that we've kind of we're kind of familiar with. Yeah, I feel like you know it sort of lets people's guard down by by sort of allowing them to access something that's familiar. But at the same time, I, I think we peppered in a couple moments here and there that are sort of off kilter, suggesting that this isn't that. But there is the same sort of, I guess, energy and um, I guess levity that you'd expect in sort of a typical Sundance, you know, dramedy. And then we decided that was like the best sort of avenue in order to then explore these other ideas because people would ultimately accept that as familiar. And then as we start going into sort of uncharted waters and into the unfamiliar, it would, I think, allow them to accept it a little bit more and then also um, contrast with what their expectations were so that there would be like a weird sort of dissonance that they were not expecting. Yeah, I really love movies that do a really hard genre switch in the middle, and I think you pulled that off magnificently. Uh, another one is Eyes Wide Shut. Um, did you think yeah. about Eyes Wide Shut at all with making this? No, no. Eyes Wide Shut wasn't one of the main. I mean, the, the the movie that we were the movie that probably was the I would say most uh, relative to this that we were that you know I, Allison wasn't familiar with, and then and then I gave our copy was Safe by Todd Haynes. Because mm. um, that that movie does like a fantastic job of sort of rooting your um, sympathies with the main character who's going through something extraordinary and exceptional and and nightmarish, and you know we you never sort of lose the thread because you're always invested in her and her um, plight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, I think you know the pacing of that movie is so gradual. I think that we wanted to mirror that in Sarah's story as well, that by the time you get to the end of the movie, you kind of can't remember, like you kind of can't believe how far you've come from where you were at the beginning. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's one thing that I, that has really stayed with me about this. Um, You guys kind of laughed when I said genre switch. Is that a thing where, is that intentional, unintentional? Is it annoying to hear somebody say that? I, I just laugh because like every movie I do, people say that to me about everything I'm doing is like a genre switch or it's like a weird subversion of genre. And like for me, that's not, I mean, it, I think that's a consequence of not actually caring about genre as much because I feel like genre is sort of, sort of like the um, bumpers at like a bowling alley to, to sort of guide the ball for the average person to feel like confident and comfortable in whatever story they're, they're observing. But like for me, I feel like the, the palette you can use for making a movie is so wide and that, you know, there are sort of tropes and, and sort of like, I guess, conventions that you can exploit to get people to certain places. But I think ultimately this movie is genreless and it's story about this woman and it's that specific story as opposed to sort of, you know, in the tradition of anything else. Uh, you worked this out while, while on hikes, I guess, over a series of hikes. We did. We started discussing it over a series of hikes, um, the first of which I think involved Jeff talking to me about us exploring the horse girl archetype and how that's a character that I should play, to which I replied, I get that a lot. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, although I'm not a horse girl and never have been, but I, I certainly have known a few in my lifetime. So I was, I was certainly excited to, to explore that. And then, and then, uh, you know, I came to Jeff with sort of the other side of this idea and, and, and as it related to, to my own family's history with mental illness. And I think sort of Jeff pointing out that the two could be one in the same, you know, idea really cracked everything open for yeah. this story. Yeah. Can you, can you both sort of define a horse girl? Do you have to actually have a horse to be a horse girl or can it just be the girl who reads a lot of books and draws horses and things like that? Yeah, I think it's, it doesn't have to, you don't actually have to grow up riding horses, but I think you have to be, um, I guess, focused heavily on horses. At, you know, it's, it's like there's, there's this sort of typical horse goal, which I think is a goal that grew up riding horses, generally doing English style riding and um, sort of feels outside of the sort of normal social spectrum. So like they're not alphas, they're not betas, they're almost like omegas, they're just sort of floating above and outside of that. And then I think there are just a bunch of girls who tend to just love horses and, you know, they, they, like they're on their trapper keeper drawing little horses and stuff and you know, there's probably, they probably have a rich fantasy life. God, it's... Yeah. I think the part of it that we, that we responded to is this idea of them being outside of the normal social structure in a high school or middle school, because they have other interests that they are super content, uh, you know, living their life focused on those interests and they're sort of outside of what everyone else is focused <clears throat> on at school. And, and they don't care. So there's like a very mysterious confidence that comes with having these other interests. And then in our case, we're sort of like, well, what happens if that girl kind of just isolated herself within those interests? And now we're seeing her in her mid thirties, having, you know, never created really meaningful relationships with other people outside of those interests. And now she's a bit disconnected from the world of her horseback riding as well. And, um, and also that, yeah. and that sort of privilege that she had was taken away from her. So part of her identity that, that she, you know, grew up with was, was removed and there's now an absence in her life. So there's almost like a, like, it's almost like the two words horse and girl are like cleaved apart and that's not even like hyphenated or anything. It's like there, there's this sort of like distinction and she's prevented from accessing that sort of time of her life, which was happy and joyful and, you know, ever since and safe. it's been removed. Yeah. And so, yeah. so now it's like, you know, we're watching the consequence of someone who like was a horse girl who like grew up with that privilege and then now is deprived of that privilege. I think horses are really interesting because I, I know so many people see them as therapeutic. Like the movie, the Mustang is really all about the therapeutic properties of horses, but I think horses are kind of scary. I mean, like when I'm on a horse, I'm always terrified of what's going to happen. Is that, you want to talk about that some more? Kind of. <laughs> yeah. kind of. I mean, I think it's, I think it's interesting <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting thematically because like a horse is supposed to be calming on one level, but horses have kind of a, a dangerous side. And it, it's interesting to me that the thing that can give you comfort is also something that could, you know, paralyze you, which happens to one of the characters, not paralyzed, but one character in the film is pretty severely injured by a horse. Yeah. I mean, they're wild animals that I guess are broken. And then, you know, they, that, you know, strong riders feel like a horse is an extension of themselves, that there is no distinction between themselves and the horse. So that, you know, it's almost like very subtle, um, 
unconscious movements can trigger the horse to do what you want as opposed to like putting a great amount of effort into it. But at the same time, they are wild animals and you never know. Like there, there's so many horse horse related accidents. And, but I ultimately like, you know, they're just animals. So they're beautiful and amazing, but also fearful and, you know, yeah. I feel like horses have a mystique of being really intuitive animals and like kind of being able to sense what people are going through. And, and for us, it's, you know, we're able to show that, that Sarah has this special connection and relationship with her horse that she really doesn't have with other human beings. Yeah. I, I think it's just interesting. It couldn't be, it, the movie wouldn't work if she was a cat girl or a dog girl or something like that. I mean, it has to be, a, it really does have to be a horse. Well, Go first ahead. of all, before you say something about cat ladies, as I am one, uh, I was, you better watch out. No, I'm just kidding. Cats um, are great. No, I was going to say, like, cat ladies are like something that's been exploited. Totally. Like, but also, it, it goes back to sort of what Jeff was saying. Like, a big part of our story is about Sarah now being denied access to this, like, very special spiritual energy in her life that, it, that exists within this horse. You know, if you're a dog or a cat person, I feel like it's, it's kind of seldom where you're, like, not allowed to be with your cat. You right. know, it, it, uh, so that was kind of a different element to it. Right. It represents so much more in terms of even like her her social standing and things like that. And dog girl feels like that's not even a thing yet, but maybe it will be. Dog girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those those two words don't sound good together. I don't know why. Um, I don't think that's the sequel that people are clamoring for. <laughs> All right, that was Allison Bree, the star and co-writer of Horse Girl on Netflix, and Jeff Baina the director and co-writer of Horse Girl on Netflix, but you already know where to find Horse Girl because you've already seen it because we made a sacred pact, you and I, at the beginning of the episode that you would watch the film before you listen to this. And the sacred bond between podcaster and person trying to kill time while they're painting the garage is unbreakable, unbendable. Sometimes as I record these intros and outros... I feel kind of like the little girl in the movie 8th Grade who makes these YouTube videos uh, advising her listeners on how to be more popular and how to get along in junior high, uh, even though nobody is really watching. Uh, I know people are listening to this, but to give me some added reassurance, if you'd like, you could go to Apple. You could throw five stars my way. Uh, It would help other people discover the podcast, whatever. If you have constructive criticism, if there's things you don't like, whether it be me, the music, uh, audio quality, remember, you're listening to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and you can give us the most brutally honest reviews you need to, to help us fix the situation, because, you know, we want to get to the bottom of this and make a podcast that you like. Okay. Uh, I'd welcome you to visit moviemaker.com. We have a great cover story up right now about Margot Robbie and Lucky Chap Entertainment, the company behind Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey uh, is out on Friday, the same day as Horse Girl. I know that for some people it's going to be tough. Like, do I watch Horse Girl first or do I watch Birds of Prey? There's just too much content. Ah, but that's not a problem for you because you've already seen Horse Girl. You made a promise. So I hope you enjoy Birds of Prey after you've had a nap uh, and that you have a wonderful weekend. 
I will see you back here next week. This is Elsie Fisher, star of 8th Grade, directed by Bo Burnham, an A24 release. Thanks very much.